Good morning. If you have a copy of the Bible, please turn to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to resume our, um, our time in the book of Philippians, um, beginning in chapter 3, verse 12, and going through verse 16. I've got a friend who has really strange eating habits. Um, we're, we've been friends for a long time, uh, maybe 12, 11 years, and have had lunch a few times out, like at Chipotle, pretty healthy places. I mean, you can, ha- you can do healthy, places where it's possible to do healthy. Um, and we've had dinner at their house before, and it's, it's, uh, he, he's super, super strict about what he eats. Um, so we'll be at Chipotle and I'll, I'll have like some rice and some chicken or, you know, whatever. Like even if I'm going to go really healthy and not get the sour cream and stuff, I find a way. And typically he'll just have some chicken and drink water from a bottle of water that has, you know, marks on it. So he knows exactly how much water a day he drinks. It's um, over the top. I tend to eat when I'm hungry within reason and drink water when I'm thirsty, you know, anytime but not so my friend. And uh, the reason for this though, is that he is a professional marathon runner. So he won in 2013, I think he won the Charlottesville Marathon. He finishes like third at the Cherry Blossom um, Marathon in DC. He's a serious professional runner. His record time is, um, he ran a, a 5.53 minute split. So that's 26, that's five minutes and 53 seconds, 26 times. Um, and I used to joke with him that I don't think I could fall out of a tree that fast. Like it would take me longer to get to the bottom. So, but because he took this so seriously, because he really takes it seriously, he doesn't want to just run for exercise or because he loves the outdoors. When he laces up his shoes before a race, he's, he's got this mindset that I'm going to win. I'm going to win. I'm going to beat all of these other runners that showed up to run this race. I'm going to be the first one across the finish line. And because he has that mindset, he makes all these other decisions that look strange to the rest of us. Um, and, but he has this, this reason for them. Kind of like as we hear every week, um, as Aubrey just said, a uh, uh, On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, right? If you get these two right and fixate on these two, all the other laws are going to kind of work themselves out underneath there. You're going to find yourself obeying all the other ones if you keep your attention on these two. Kind of like that. Well, as we turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 16, we're going to find that Paul does something similar to this. This passage in Philippians occurs at a place and functions kind of as a summary of what Paul has been doing so far. So he's bringing tightly together a lot of main threads that he's been weaving throughout the previous 71 verses. We're going to see some of those themes as we go through this passage. But the way that he does this summary is good for those of us who are visual learners. He doesn't just make another argument. He takes all the longer arguments that he's been making, and in a way, he cinches them together with this metaphor, this really vivid metaphor of a grueling foot race, of a runner running a grueling foot race, running to win, 
not to get exercise, not to be part of the running club and socialize on the team and be on the bus. He's writing about a runner who's running to win, that kind of fixed determination. So he uses this metaphor, this arduous journey, this journey for which the participant has studied and prepared and taken on a mindset for years um, and month in and month out. A race and a journey that the participant is determined above all else to complete as the champion. So that's what we're doing in these five verses or that's what we're going to see. We're going to see themes come together under this metaphor and resonate and harmonize big themes like we start seeing in chapter one, does, does God care about your righteousness? Does he care about you being blameless or pure in the day of Christ Jesus? If God does care about those things, how does God measure those things? How do we know what is excellent compared to something else? Paul wants us to know that. He wants us to know what is excellent so that we can choose the right things and not the wrong things for this race. But how? Is there a way, is there a, a framework that we can use that, that will help us to work our way through this in, a way, in the ways that Paul is prompting us to? We've heard a lot about partnership and fellowship, union, you know, being knit together in something, owning something together, being partners with Paul or, or, or with God. Another theme that's weaving its way through this is this question of, is there any way to find our bearings when we're so disoriented by severe suffering? Uh, you'll remember Paul's writing this from imprisonment. And the, the church that he's writing to, there, there are evildoers among them that are, that are working against the cross of Christ and distorting the gospel and making it something that it's not. And they're worried for Paul. I mean, they're... they're like what happens with any of us, like they're, they're afraid and they're pressed and they're fighting with each other. There's all this stuff happening. And so is there any way for us to find our bearings when we're disoriented by severe suffering? So let's open to Philippians chapter three, verses 12 to 16. If you're not there already, you're going to hear phrases like this. I want to read it one more time, but listen for this imagery that goes to this race. It seemed like Paul liked watching sports a lot. He refers to sports a lot in his letters, but he's, he's using phrases like, I press on and forgetting what lies behind, straining forward. I press on toward the goal. He, he wants us to hold true to the things that we've already attained. So there's this urgency there. But also listen, what's the point? Why are you so worried about this race? See, for me and my friend, I would be happily eating my food and he would be refraining because I just don't get it. I'm not going to try to win a marathon. <laughs> like, I want to eat good food. I mean, within reason. <clears throat> What's the point? What does he see that, that I don't see? What is Paul seeing that's driving all this urgency and this, this fixedness? What's driving it? What does he see that maybe we see sometimes, but that he wants us to see more regularly, more consistency, more consistently or more confidently, more clearly? So listen for that too. And I might emphasize it while I read it just to 
you know, just to give a hint. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. We're going to look at this passage in the, con- in, the, in the framework that it's presented in. We're going to think about it in terms of this journey, this arduous journey, this race that's being run. And we're going to see from this passage that it's not just Paul on a journey, that it starts with the journey that Jesus made himself. It starts with the journey that Jesus made and that, that Paul got included in and that Paul is going to talk about, well, so this journey implicated me. And, and this is how I'm responding to the, the way that Christ has somehow included me in his journey. And then he's inviting the Philippian church and he's inviting you and me and anyone who would ever hear or read his words to join him in this journey and to adopt the same mindset that he has. Not to just kind of watch him as this cool example, but to, but to be like him, to imitate him in the ways that he's thinking about what Jesus has done for him and what, and, and, and what Jesus is calling out of him for the rest of his time on earth. So let's start with the journey of Christ. And this is because you'll see that all this language about pressing on and straining forward and forgetting what lies behind and all this is, is because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Christ Jesus has made me his own own. We learn of this journey that Jesus went on if we go back to the Christ hymn in chapter 2 and we see Jesus presented as one who had everything. He was with God. And we know from other passages of scripture that he was, he's been there the whole time before the creation of anything. And so here he is with God and yet having all those stature and all the trappings of being God, he chose to empty himself to allow himself to be wrung out of all those rights and privileges and to to empty himself and to become, to take on the form of a slave, a servant, but really slave is the, the right word there. So he takes on the form of the lowest person among people and be among us that way. And not only be among us that way as the lowest um, kind of class, but to suffer death. So he goes from where he was to now he's suffering death. He's giving himself up that much and not only any kind of death, but death on a cross. And because of that journey that he went on, um, God sees fit to, to exalt him and raise him up and give him a name that's above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that he's Lord, that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the praise and glory of God the Father. So that's the journey that Jesus went on. And the way Paul sees this, the way he's describing it, 
is that Jesus didn't just go on this journey and leave the world the way it was when he came. He didn't leave it the same way. And he didn't certainly leave Paul the same way. Paul's not describing a journey um, that Jesus went on as something to just kind of watch as an outsider, like to observe, wow, Jesus did an amazing job. Look how humble he was. Um, That's true. And is Jesus here as the ultimate example of humility? Yes. Is that the way Paul is using the Christ hymn in the Philippian church? Absolutely it is, right? So it's not that Jesus is not a moral example. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Absolutely he is, and he's being held up that way. But is that it? Is that all that it is? And as we keep reading the letter, we see, wow, there's way more um, than that going on here. So, So we see this glory, this glorious journey that Jesus went on as not just an abstract thing, but, but somehow Jesus Christ has made me his own is, the, is the, the reason that Paul is adopting all of this urgency. We hear every week and we recite every week this journey. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. In this journey... Jesus didn't just run his race and we watch him and the world looks on. What we see here is that as Jesus is running this race, leaving heaven, entering the world, being in our midst as a slave, dying on a cross and being raised, that as he's doing all of this, he's, he's doing it in such a way that he's coupling himself to the entire world. He's here, not just among us, but he's here attaching himself to us. Jesus is in the world laying hold of the world. We see this in the vignettes as we see Jesus interacting with different people all along the way. The paralytic that we just heard about. Jesus is in the world, drawing the world to himself and connecting himself to the world and attaching people to himself. Every person ever created is attached to God in Christ, is attached to Jesus. Every molecule, every genome, Jesus is coming into his creation and laying hold of it. This is important to keep in mind if we hope to accurately absorb the impact of what Paul is saying about himself and about each of us, that this journey is about laying hold of things and bringing them along. As Jesus entered the grave, he didn't do it alone. As Jesus emerged from the grave, he didn't emerge from the grave alone. As Jesus left earth and all of us and was ascended back to the Father and exalted and given this name, he wasn't exalted and given this name alone. It's almost like imagining trillions of threads attaching to Jesus throughout his life and ministry. And as he goes into the grave, he's bringing all of those into the grave with him. And on the other end of those threads, it's the fractured version of you and me and the whole world. Every institution, every aspect of creation, Jesus is bringing it into the grave with him. And when he emerges... All those threads are still attached, except on the other end now is the healed version of all those things. That you being fully known have emerged with Jesus from from death. 
and, and are somehow now seated with him in the heavenly places. The healed whole version of you exists there with Christ. Paul is saying, and Christ Jesus has made me his own. And because that's true, what am I going to do about it? Oh my gosh, if this is true, what else has to be true? If this is true, I want to know that person. I want to get closer to him. It's almost like I want to participate in getting closer and closer to the one who's laid hold of the front of my shirt and is bringing me one heartbeat and one breath at a time that much closer to where I'm going to be with him face to face. If that's true, I want to know him. I want to know him in his sufferings. I want to know him in his sacrifice. I want to know the power of his resurrection now, just as I'll know it fully one day. I want to know it as best I can now. As we think about this, it's important to make this distinction. He's running this way, not to earn it. We don't, I don't even want to do that. I mean, I don't, we don't need to do that. Aubrey did that really well when he was talking about Paul's privileges and his ethnic identity and all of his, like, um, you know, his resume or whatever that he would be able to say, look how righteous I am and look how close to God I am. Just like Jesus didn't count that a thing to be grasped, neither did Paul. Happy to lay it aside in order to attain not a different thing, not a different rule book or a different um, family tree, but in order to attain this person, in order to know him. So here's the beauty of it. It's not Paul's behavior and his how does he function in the world? How does he function while he's in prison? Or how does he function while he's among the Philippians and other churches that he's planting? What kind of pastor is he? What kind of preacher is he? What kind of apostle is he? And, and he's doing all this hard work for God. And then in his quiet time, he sits in a chair and he thinks about his fellowship with God and the fact that God laid hold of him and that he belongs to Jesus. And it's like a warm, nice thing that he experiences and then he goes back to work and does his real work. Whether it's Paul being an apostle or, or you being a nurse or, um, or whatever you do. They aren't separated. Paul wants to make him known so that the resurrected Christ can animate him in every aspect of his life. So that he can fill up what is lacking in Christ wherever he is. And that sounds like an Maybe a confusing phrase. Not that Christ is lacking in anything, but he's not here. He's not physically present here. In a way that Paul especially talks about filling up what's lacking in someone who's absent is that, that they're representing um, that entity in, in wherever they are. So, Timothy and Epaphroditus visited Paul and ministered to him. And Paul says that, that in doing that, they filled up what is lacking in the Philippians themselves, right? As your representatives, they came and visited me and they filled up what is lacking. Or in Ephesians chapter one, Paul describes us, he describes the church all over the world as the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Jesus fills all in all. But we're the fullness of that. We're the expression of that. So Paul is, because Christ has laid hold of him and is bringing him home and he's overwhelmed by this reality and he's ready to 
forget what lies behind and fixate on this person, Jesus, so that he might know him and be intimately united with him and renewed by him moment by moment so that he can be animated by him even in prison. And now the prison guards are learning about Jesus and being converted. It makes a difference in Paul's real life. Or he says, it sure would be nice if I could leave here and be with Jesus. That would be my first choice. But if I am going to stay, it's for your sake. Because as I get to know Jesus, I'm here as his representative, being him with you, with every relationship, every conversation, all these prayers that I'm praying without ceasing on your behalf. So the journey of Jesus became the whole world's journey. And Paul recognized as one of our prophets, as one of our apostles that we're trying to build our faith on, someone that is worth imitating. Paul is recognized and articulating to you and to me, this has become my journey. Christ has laid hold of me. And now for the rest of my life, I want to fixate on this the way a marathon runner would. I want to make my life about this. I want this fact to organize all the other things that are true about me and to inform them and animate them wherever possible. I want to know this person and be filled by him so that I can share him with you, so that I can be him as best I can. Not that I've already attained this, but I'm trying to get better and better at it by knowing him better and better so that I can share his life and love with the world that he's bringing home. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.